the importance of scaling across multiple countries. And it's, it, it's not to be underestimated. I think, you know, what we've seen over the years is for any founder that, that, that becomes a number one or number two within their home market, the need for them to expand to a second country and, and become the number one and number two in that specific country is extremely important in terms of getting the company to scale um, and finding later stage investors as well. So that's extremely important. Um, but here, here comes the, the tricky part. Southeast Asia's ride-hailing giant Grab is set to go public through the world's largest SPAC merger, valuing the company at $39.6 billion. Fresh off the announcement, this week we talk about the rise of startups in Southeast Asia. With over 650 million internet users, more than America and Europe combined, Southeast Asia is arguably the most exciting region in the world right now to create disruptive tech companies. With more dry powder, higher valuations, the rise of unicorns, and imminent exits fueled further by large corporates, Southeast Asia is definitely now on the map if it wasn't already before. In comes my next guest, Michael Lins. Michael is a partner at Singapore-based venture capital firm Golden Gate Ventures, currently leading the Growth Venture Fund. Since joining the firm in 2013, Dutch-born and raised Michael has helped to raise over $60 million for Golden Gate Ventures and its portfolio companies, raising later stage rounds from external investors as well as leading two early strategic acquisitions. We begin to unpack the growth story that is Southeast Asia and why LPs and other investors are rushing to invest. You don't want to miss this. Welcome to Billion Dollar Moves, the show for the top U.S. and Asia founders, funders, and execs making billion dollar moves that are shaping our future. From the growing pains of a unicorn journey to IPO, the question of impact and returns, to scaling a venture capital firm, we go real deep in the world of venture and business. I'm your host, Sarah Chen. Now let's get started. With me, we have the amazing Michael Lintz, who... Uh, for the first time, I've heard it's not waking up at 4 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> Michael, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. I had a, had a bit of a rest today, so um, I didn't wake up as early as I usually do. Good. So, Michael, you know, you've really had a fa fascinating journey. I mean, I've known you for a couple of years now, uh, you know, Dutch born and raised, but really with a interesting background of being an engineer and then going on into moving to all the way to Singapore with your family to work in a venture capital firm, Golden Gate Ventures, that we're proud to partner with at the Billion Dollar Fund for Women. Um, but really, you know, I, I think beyond that, I've also heard some interesting personal stories from the fact that you actually um, broke your sternum at the age of five. So tell us all about that, because I know that's an important part of your lifeline and yeah. how Michael Lintz has come to be today. Sure. Um, geez, that's, that's, that's a long time ago. Um, exactly, that's exactly 40 years ago. Um, yeah, it's, it's funny. I, um, I, I, I got into a cycling accident because um, I was cycling with a few buddies. Yeah, I, was, I was five, six years old. And uh, the moment we, I passed a car, uh, the car opened its door. I slammed into the car, which, you know, which actually is not that bad. I mean, you, 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 you'll survive it. But I had some bad luck because um, I fell to the I fell to the left side, and on the left side it was a pole. So literally, my chest um, the first thing my chest hit was not the ground; but it was actually the pole, um, and that's yes. when I, uh, I I cracked my sternum. So I've always had issues uh, issues breathing uh, since. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's 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 fine now. I, I survived. 
Yeah, well, and, and you are an athlete uh, beyond being a venture capitalist as well. So, uh, you know, I, and, and this really speaks to your spirit of just resilience and um, just, you know, moving forward no matter what, what and making some of the hard choices. And, and I want to talk a little bit about that before we go on to the exciting topic of the day, which is uh, the hot week that is Southeast Asia. Uh, yeah. But really want to, you know, dive deeper into the person that you are and, you know, what really got you excited about venture capital and particularly in Southeast Asia? Um, so I, I think the, um, for, for my background, I've always been in technology. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I got my first computer from my dad. Um, I think it was an MSX and I was like seven or eight years old. Um, and the first, the first thing I did was I took it apart because I wanted to understand how the inside of the computer worked. Um, to, of course, the dismay of my dad, but he was like, okay, you know, might as, might as well go ahead. Uh, so we, we took it apart. Um, I tried to understand, you know, the kind of inner working. So we were kind of working on the motherboard as uh, so getting an understanding of how the chips work. Um, so I've always had a fascination for technology uh, since mm. early age. Um, kind of following in my dad's footsteps. So I uh, studied computer science and engineering. Um, it's it's It'll show my age, but I, uh, I learned how to code in assembly uh, very early on. Um, so yeah, really, really old school. Um, but yeah, just you know, technology kind of you know stuck with me, and it's always been part of my uh, part of my career. Um, and how did it my, lead you? Yeah, all the way to yeah. Singapore. Yeah, so even even my, my my first job at ING was was literally um, you know being being in technology. Um, my first uh, my first business is uh, was a data center. Eventually, it evolved into a data center, uh, which we built ourselves. Um, um, the company got acquired. I, I think after the acquisition, I was I was really thinking of what what could be a next step in my life. And the one thing I learned was I had um, a lot of you know mentors and friends uh, literally helped me uh, when we were when we were building our business. And I thought the one thing I can do you know after the company got acquired is, is give back. So I started advising a lot of founders and and, and helping out, and in some cases um, even investing. Um, and that's, that stuck with me over the years. And I said, it would be great to do this like in a more structural, uh, structural way. Um, mm-hmm. so what ended up happening was, um, I wanted to learn more about investing and how to invest. So, um, I did a few of, uh, executive courses at, at Harvard in, uh, in Boston. And one of my classmates, he actually, uh, lived in Singapore and he was telling me about there's this, uh, like really cool, uh, it's a new fund. Uh, Singapore is like a hotbed, a coming hotbed for uh, for startups. This is back in 2012. Right. So I was like, sounds amazing. So I, I bought a plane ticket to uh, to Singapore, um, just kind of get an understanding of the ecosystem. Um, met Vinny Loria and, and Jeffrey Payne of uh, of Golden Gate Ventures, and uh, yeah, almost the rest is history. So I stayed in Singapore since then. And what was it that you know? I, I think it's interesting that you um, had a, a sort of a a quick sense to you know, uh, pick up that Singapore was the hub back then, uh, when even venture capital was relatively new and was just picking up, right? What, what sort of, uh, struck you then when you were learning about the ecosystem and meet you, uh, take that big, big leap and, and big jump? I mean, to be fair, you know, uh, I'm not that big of a visionary, so I didn't know this was going to happen, you know, after 10 years, but, um, it, it was about the people. And mm. you know, the, again, the moment I had these, these conversations with, you know, my early friends from, from Harvard that lived in Singapore, with Vinny, with Jeff, um, with the founders, 
you know, early founders that we invested in, uh, Money Smart, you know, uh, Meeting Vinod, uh, you know, Sue Ray of Carousel, just meeting all these kind of young founders. And they were so vested in not only building their company, uh, but building that company for Southeast Asia. Um, mm. I was really intrigued by sort of that passion and, and that, that drive. Um, and that's what made me stay. I, I, I honestly have to say it was really the people that I met uh, back, in those, back in those days. Yeah, and, and I think that's um, it, it speaks volumes, right, in terms of what uh, investors really look for. At the end of the day, I mean, it's the people. Uh, yeah. So definitely something that um, I, I see a lot of investors. And in fact, I was just tuning into Patrick, Patrick Grove, uh, you know, a big internet entrepreneur as well. And, uh, you know, back when I think he was reflecting on his time, his first uh, exit, you know, he was thinking, what's going to happen next? And for him, it was about proving that Southeast Asia uh, and that the power of technology and internet is, is possible. And that's what keeps him going to serve, like you said, uh, the people of Southeast Asia. So talking, turning now, Ben, to Southeast Asia, uh, it is a very hot week. And I am so glad that, you know, timing worked out for you because we're in the heat of the action, right? So Grab just made a, a huge announcement of going uh, public via the largest SPAC merger. Uh, with Altimeter growth. So that's a big one, valuing it at $40 billion. So it's a right-hailing app that has become essentially a super app with embedded finance. Uh, beyond that, Bukalapa uh, just had the uh, another fundraise uh, with Microsoft and Fave as well in, in Malaysia uh, just had an exit to Pine Labs in India. So really, really exciting week. What What are your thoughts here on everything that's happening? What's going on in Southeast Asia? Paint a bit of a landscape for us. Sure, it's, it's 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 funny though. So the because all the news happened in in almost almost the same week. Uh, Literally, you know, yeah. I've been getting calls like, "Hey, congrats!" and and it's an amazing week for the ecosystem. It, it definitely is. Uh, but we've you no, know, we've we've been here for such a long time. We've kind of seen these developments over the over the past years, and mm-hmm. um, I, I wouldn't say we knew this was coming exactly, but we, we saw the interest for the region grow over time. And I think there's a few things that, that have been very important um, uh, that, that have led up to this up to this week. Um, about ten years ago, uh, I say you know you mentioned it yourself, Sarah. You know the ecosystem was very nascent and, and very young and very early. Um, there, there weren't that many funds. There weren't that many uh, that many uh, founders actually building companies, um, and it was very concentrated to like a few a few countries and, and a few founders. What happened over the years was. Founders got more resilient, um, just in general. Um, so people were, people looked at the early founders and said, "Hey, this is actually an amazing journey. I have a passion about a certain industry or a certain topic. Um, I can build this business as well." Um, so people left, you know, left their their their, their jobs and decided, "I'm I'm just going to go at it." Um, I think they were comforted by the fact that there were more and more investors coming to the region over the over the past years. Um, I think what was a um, a big spurt. Um, or a big um, ignition for the ecosystem was uh, 2015-2016 when um, a handful of Series A funds um, mm. came online, um, you know, whether or not backed by, uh, by, by Singapore Tomasek, but a lot, a lot of these funds kind of helped get sort of this first stage of entrepreneurs to the second stage. Now, in 2017-2018, in we, we saw the first signs of, of exits and exits were around, I say, the hundred to two hundred million dollar range. Um, but the fact that they were they were they were actual exits showed that there was there was life into this ecosystem. 
Um, so you saw Gojack, you saw Grab make, making a number of acquisitions. Um, a lot of the acquisitions were actually from the, the local, of the regional, the regional unicorns. Um, right. But it also kind of helped showcase that there is something happening in the region. And then if I fast forward to 2020, where uh, C, uh, formerly Garena, had a stellar year on the New York Stock Exchange, I think it really opened up a lot of eyes for institutional capital. Um, so investors from the U.S. were looking to invest in, in companies here. Um, y Combinator has, has, is seeing more and more Southeast Asian founders you know, within, within the demo day. So in terms of exposure, um, Southeast Asia is just getting more and more exposure to a global investor audience. Well, that obviously will lead to more capital coming to the region. Uh, that will lead to more companies getting acquired. And then I think, mm. you know, with, with the, the rise of SPACs in, in 2020 and 2021, um, it, it was sort of the final, the final push that, that the ecosystem needed. And now with, um, you know, with, with Grab, it shows that, oh, man, it is possible to, to generate, you know, a multi-billion dollar company uh, to literally compete with the likes of, with the likes of Uber in, in, in a sense uh, yeah. and, and, and to be this, this super app for the region. Um, so I think this was sort of the final push that the ecosystem needed to showcase the world that, you know, it's one, it's, it's matured, uh, mm. two, there are amazing founders, uh, and three, it is possible to actually generate exits uh, from this, uh, from this ecosystem. Yeah, and, and I love everything that you picked up upon there. And I think uh, funding, you know, flushing uh, cash into the ecosystem, especially when it's nascent, is necessary. In fact, uh, last week's episode, we had Chris Schroeder, an American investor who is, you know, investing in the emerging markets. And I've heard you uh, speak about investing in emerging markets as well. Before we talk about the exits, which is exciting and, and love to, you know, go deeper on that. I want to hear a little bit about you, you know, what, what you've learned over the years in investing in uh, emerging markets. Uh, right, Southeast Asia, despite all of this great news uh, just this week, compressed into one, as you said, it, it was a journey. Um, you know, I remember um, Grab knocking door to door, you know, um, the infrastructure is not fully built up. There's a lot of challenge, actually, in, in uh, even just building a startup in Southeast Asia, where it's very different from country to country. So even the fact that we have 650 million internet users, right, uh, from, from Vietnam to Singapore, it's a totally different landscape. So talk to us a little bit about what you've learned uh, in investing in these different markets here and what's changed over the years. Yeah, so I'll, I'll, give, I'll give two perspectives. I would say um, one is our perspective of, of investing in the region itself, uh, but I'll, I'll give a perspective as, you know, a venture capital firm who is who's been fundraising over the last 10 years as well um what was interesting in the first few years we really had to explain and and almost market the region we weren't even we weren't even marketing our fund because we didn't we didn't get the chance we, we always had to convince investors to even look at southeast asia um you know if if you look at investors looking at the asian market they would typically look at india and china first which makes sense um you know huge markets uh, huge potential um, you could say, you know, those are homogeneous markets. Um, and they felt that, you know, Southeast Asia was, was still, it was difficult because there's so many different countries. Um, it was very young, very early, um, you know, sort of the landscape wasn't fully matured yet. Um, so, you know, in our initial years, we really had to sort of fight for attention uh, from large institutional investors. Um, and that definitely took a, took a bit of time. Um, I think at the moment, it's, it's an slightly easier journey uh, because you don't have to explain why we are investing in Southeast Asia. Everyone kind of understands. Mm. 
uh, and it's more about you know the strategy and the, and and, uh, and and how you are picking your your targets. Um, when it comes to investing in companies, we've we've learned a, we've learned a bunch. Um, I, I think the initial um, initial perception was you can actually build a a company which is almost siloed. And I think more and more we're realizing, you know, whether it's across our portfolio or, you know, of our peers, a lot of companies end up working with each other. Um, and you, you'll see this within the, the e-commerce and the, and, and the fintech space. You know, a lot of the large, you know, sort of e-commerce platforms work very closely with a lot of the fintech players, whether in Indonesia and Singapore, Malaysia. Um, right. And it kind of goes, it kind of goes hand in hand. So there's, it's a very collaborative, in that sense, a very collaborative ecosystem. Uh, so one, one thing that I've learned. Uh, the second thing is the importance of scaling across multiple countries. And it's, it, it's not to be underestimated. I think, you know, what we've seen over the years is for any founder that, that, that becomes a number one or number two within their home market, the need for them to expand to a second country and, and become the number one and number two in that specific country is extremely important in terms of getting the company to scale um, and finding latest stage investors as well. So that's extremely important. Um, but here, here comes the, the tricky part. Um, you know, if, if you are in, in Malaysia or if you are in Vietnam, it is not a natural thing to expand to Indonesia. Um, it's right. not natural to expand to the Philippines. It kind of takes you to building almost the same company um, over again in, in, a, in a new country. And that's, that's pretty difficult. So we've learned mm -hmm. that, you know, giving support um, whilst companies are expanding is extremely important. Um, and, and just on that last point, Michael, if, if you may, um, you know, because we have American uh, listeners tuning in as well. Wh why is that? Why, why is, um, you know, expanding into a different country that's so close to each other in Southeast Asia dramatically different? Yeah, I mean, you almost think of it as if you let, let's say that you're, you're, you're based out of the U.S. and, and you're, building, you're, you're building a company there and you decide to expand to Germany. And um, you have to kind of understand how German culture works, the German language, uh, the narrative, uh, the look and feel. Uh, it's, mm. it's the same as Southeast Asia. Although Southeast Asia is one region, um, Indonesia is vastly different from Vietnam, uh, language-wise, culture-wise, demographics-wise. Just even how technology is built is different. So, so think of it as literally expanding to an entirely new country. Um, where everything is different from your home country. That's that's what it is. And the only the only commonality is you know it's it's in close proximity. That's that's one. Um, and and there there are some similarities, but but those are relatively small. Um, so again, yeah, it feels like like building a new company in a in a, in a new country. Right. And uh, going into exits, I, I know you did a report with INSEAD a couple of years ago uh, where you said it was, what, 700 startup exits projected between 2023 to 2025. What do you think? Is this going to continue to hold up or how is it changing since the last time that you did the study with INSEAD? Yeah, so uh, and we're actually um, uh, releasing a new report pretty soon. So um, excited, excited about that. Um, I, I can say that that 2020 has had some uh, some impact on on the exit landscape in general. Um, so we, we've seen, in terms of our projection, we, we've seen less exits in uh, in, in 2020. Um, mm. But the funny thing is, it's actually picking up again. So if if you look at the first quarter of this year and and extrapolate that to the next to the next three quarters of this year, um, it, it looks like we're back on track. Um, I'm actually thinking that the, the number um, that we had is around 200-ish exits a year um, wow. is, is actually going to pan out. Um, what is now interesting is 
um, is is the influence of um, of SPACs coming to market and and SPAC sponsors looking for targets in the region. That means that's going to accelerate um, it over it over the longer term, or is that going mm. to be like a short a short bump in uh, in the number of exits? Um, so yeah, we're still very bullish on that that the number still holds ground. Um, yeah, I think what the, the one thing that I would add here is that. We're seeing more and more secondary buyers coming to market. Um, mm. It's something that didn't happen over the last few years, but it's, it has accelerated um, in, in the last uh, six to nine months. Um, right. Because there are more late-stage companies in the market, there are more secondary buyers looking to, uh, looking to buy a stake into these companies uh, because they, they foresee a, um, a good exit trajectory. Um, so that's kind of a new, new development as well. Right. And, and what else are you, I mean, the pandemic... Uh, I, I feel like we've we've talked about the pandemic again and again, and we're probably fatigued by by all of this. But how has that changed uh, your view in terms of what you're seeing in in the startup space? Are is there a bigger push towards you know um, ed tech, uh, healthcare? What 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 are you seeing right now? And is this also uh, being driven by certain things like I, I know you spoke about the role of corporates in Asia uh, playing a big role in driving some of the growth. You know what what are you seeing here? I'd say that for um, um, let's call it slowly getting towards post-pandemic. Let me let me put it this way: um, we, we've seen that in 2020, technology in terms of a sector, um, and I'll I'll not talk about the US, but specifically in Southeast Asia, has been extremely robust. Um, mm. Companies that were in um, e-commerce, in payments, in insure tech, in logistics. They've all gone up in terms of their growth, uh, in terms of their revenue, the ability to fundraise. They've they've all gone up to the right. Um, <clears throat> within the healthcare space, um, similar. Although healthcare is still relatively uh, new to the region, I, I feel that you know what we've seen in in the portfolio, um, it is it has gone up as well. So, I think as people were forced to stay at home, um, they were also forced to use different types of services. Um, right. Um, you know, so it was it was a it was a big push for um, um, you know for, for technology in general. What is interesting now is kind of what's going to happen sort of post pandemic, and I think um, a big portion of the growth will stay because we're not going to all of a sudden change our our behavior from 2020. You know, people are still mm. working from home half the time. People are still um, kind of rethinking the way they they do their they do their shopping. Uh, they're going to rethink the way they travel. So, you know, we think that a, a big portion of the growth um, will, will stay just because people have changed their behavior since, since 2020. Um, I think on the education side, what is interesting there is a lot of the companies that have um, worked with the actual um, education institutes, um, and whether it's K-12 or, um, or adult education, um, I think there's now a closer relationship between technology um, and these institutes. Um, and we're, we're going to see some interesting developments there as well in terms of um, homeschooling, K-12 education, uh, tutoring, the way we're going to do exams. So I'm pretty excited right. there as well. Right. And, and which I think is, is super interesting, right? Because I, as you know, you know, being a transplant uh, from, from you know, uh, different places and, and seeing the different environments uh, and now raising children in Singapore, uh the fact of uh, using technology and, and really integrating, uh, working remotely, even that thought of uh, uh, not coming to, into the office and seeing your customer or your stakeholder is, is very different for an Asian uh, person and, and the culture. So I think definitely a big shift there. 
uh, which yeah. is going to be exciting. So now I want to turn to um, a more personal uh, side of your story. I know you have been um, thinking very deeply about your role uh, and your voice and against the backdrop of what's happening in in America right now, uh, you know, the, the racial reckoning of the last year and, you know, um, the, the current trial that's happening and just um, the reckoning that's happening all over the globe. Uh, you've been asked also to participate in a documentary, uh, Broken Chains. Can you talk to us a little bit about that and, and what uh, sort of prompted you to take this step forward here? Sure. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, that's, that's definitely very personal. I, I think... Um, Myself and a lot of my friends, um, you know, either you know, in, back in Europe or in the US, um, this is funny. I, I think everyone is u- using the word exhausted. Uh, it was mm-hmm. just very, very tiring to even you know turn on the TV and, and watch the news um, because it felt like every day something else was going on. And and yeah, seeing a lot of black men being killed by the police um, at, at some point, just enough, enough is enough. And you know. To an extent where everyone sort of encountered racism in um, sort of in, in in a different way, um, you know whether it's you know a very unfortunate police brutality, whether it's the way you're treated within a corporation, uh, whether you have you know sort of access to capital or access to education. Um, so you know, I as as many others, um, I kind of wrote down my feelings in a um, in a medium post, and um, I didn't expect so many people to respond to it. Um, I, I literally had, <laughs> not exaggerating, I had, I think, over 50 phone calls uh, wow. from, from the article itself. Um, like a lot of messages I, I responded to. And, uh, and eventually, um, one of my friends that I've been working with on some, um, some business TV uh, projects said, we should make a documentary about this. And I, the, the first thing I said was, well, it shouldn't be about me because that makes no sense. Uh, but for a documentary to be about, you know, the topic of, of racial wealth and, and sort of, you know, access to wealth for, um, uh, for the college community, I think that is interesting because it's, it's often overlooked. Um, yeah. And it's something that as a VC, I'm super passionate about as well. So, yeah, um, yeah before we knew it, we, um, we decided to make a documentary. And um, we called a lot of our friends in the U.S. and said, hey, we're thinking about making this documentary about, you know, sort of um, the, the, the racial wealth gap. And literally everyone said, yes, uh, we'll help out. We'll, we'll work, work with you on this. And um, we have 16 amazing people uh, that we've mm. interviewed or are interviewing. Um, and we're putting together an amazing story about uh, how this has evolved over the years. And uh, hopefully, well, hopefully, not hopefully. Um, we're going to launch in the summer, but I'm saying hopefully because I want it to be done in June. Um, so uh, we are, you know, we're excited about the next few, next few months. And congratulations. I think such an important, uh, you know, production and, and glad to see some familiar names, you know, from all friends as well in, in, in DC, Shelly, and, and I know Mariah is part of it as well. So proud of what you're doing. Uh, really important. And finally, you know, to take us home here, you know, this is a really short show and then we're going to jump on Clubhouse for, uh, you know, the, the post-show discussion and dive a little bit deeper. I, but, you know, you've said uh, on the pandemic. Uh, and, and I just want to, you know, really dive deeper in terms of your approach here in uh, some of the life lessons that we can pick up from you. And you've said that as months pass by during the pandemic, they start to feel like it's Groundhog Day, right? So beyond everything else that's going 
going on in the world, you know, we're, we are feeling exhausted. What, what is your advice to founders who, by the nature of their business itself, you know, it's, it's exhausting, right? Entrepreneurship, people don't talk about the, the bad side of the hustle enough. What, what, are, what would your advice be for founders and funders tuning in that are working hard here? Yeah, so, so I'll, I'll add one, one thing, and and I'll the um, like 2019 for a lot of people, myself included, was about um, you know working hard, uh, being on the go all the time. Um, you know, I'm I'm at another airport, I'm in another country. Uh, look at me doing amazing, and I, I think sort of that cadence uh, became normal and. Um, you you didn't have time to sort of stop and think about life, family, work, your colleagues, your your own goals, and then you know 2020 hit like a just like like a brick wall, and um, it, we we had to we had to stop and think. There was there was no other choice. Um, and the one thing I I, I didn't realize was um, this feeling of this 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 Groundhog Day feeling. It, it doesn't mm. happen all of a sudden. It happens like very slowly over time. Um, yeah. And you're like, why do I feel different than I did last year? Um, so I think for me, my biggest lesson was to kind of, you know, s- stop and stand still more often uh, and mm. really sort of, I wouldn't say reset because you don't always want to reset, but at least think about, you know, what, what, have, what, have, what have I achieved? Um, what is the impact that I've created? Uh, am I feeling happy? Am I feeling unhappy? And, and why is that? So just being more self-aware and, and spending right. more time. So one of the things that were important for me is uh, is just, you know, break the day in half. Like small things that I didn't do in 2019 is just, just go for a short walk um, yeah. and, and, and do nothing. <laughs> um, yeah. Or um, I write, I, I love, it seems that I love writing. So um, I started writing more and more. Um, oh, one thing I do is just, um, just like for like 15 to 20 minutes, just be mm. silent and do nothing. Um, yeah. you like sit down, lay on the floor, close your eyes. doesn't really matter, but just for a few minutes, just do nothing at all. Um, have time on your, on your schedule, like an hour, like an hour per day where there's nothing, no phone calls, no zoom calls, no meetings, no coffee, catch-ups, literally nothing. Um, I think that is that has been helping me a lot. Um, I have I have too many notebooks. Um, I'll, <laughs> let me show you for a second. So these are um, this 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 is like the last. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Just yeah. Like, no, there's 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 a difference in writing, you know, physically writing than typing things out. So I love that. Yeah. yeah. So, and so and I want to. Yeah. And getting that process together. And, and I want to also get a, you know, a, a quick fire round here on advice to founders, um, that are building, uh, hard. And, you know, it's, it's easy. And I think you've said this before, which I really appreciate, which is focus on your own grass. <laughs> you say that with a, a little bit more color than that, but, uh, you know, it's easy as a founder to feel and look around you like, Oh gosh, everyone's, you know, doing a SPAC. There's so much happening right now that, uh, I'm feeling pressured to, to, Scale quickly. What what would your advice be to founders that are thinking about um, the post pandemic world and building in it? Um, so I'll, I'll take an example of of founders that, that I really respect and that I've seen grow um, over over the past years. The, the, they, they have they seem to have two traits that I that I uh, that is interesting. Um, so the first thing is 
they have the ability to not get distracted. And I know mm. how difficult it is. You know, if you, you might open, you know, whether it's the, any of the tech blogs and you see your competitor has raised a lot of money, you get all excited and anxious, like, oh, no, I need to raise money and, and something needs to happen. Um, I think the founders that, that, that get less distracted by all the noise around them and, you know, they're like, okay, so my competitor has raised, kudos to them. Um, I'll, I'll keep focusing on building my product, building my team, thinking of my strategy for the next year. I think that is extremely important. Again, it's very, very difficult. I think the one thing you can do in terms of um, getting that noise, that noise out of your head is, um, is just literally, um, <clears throat> okay, this sounds great, but find someone in your environment uh, that mm -hmm. can coach you on this. So the moment you feel anxious, um, don't try to solve it on your own, but find someone who can be a coach for you. Um, mm -hmm. That's going to help you um, sort of keep you on the, on the straight path in terms of um, your, your, your focus. So um, don't be afraid to talk about it to someone. So find someone that you trust within, within, your, um, within, your, within, your, yeah, just within your network um, and, and have, have a discussion. Yeah, um, I love that. I this, this, the second thing would be... Um, and this, this is interesting, is really think about your business in terms of um, where do you and the business personally want, so where do you personally want to be and where does the business mm. need to be um, over in the next five years? And the reason I'm saying this is if you have that horizon, you're more focused on what are my next steps to get to that next five years. And I know, you know, Everything changes within the next five years. We don't know if there's going to be yeah. an economic pandemic, so everything changes. But having that horizon is going to be super helpful in just keeping you focused. So find a coach and and find sort of your find sort of your your, your north star. I think is is, is very yeah. helpful in keeping you focused. Yeah, love it. Well, Michael, this has been uh, such a treat. I mean, you know, we've we've had to really jam in a lot here from uh, the power that is Southeast Asia right now, the exciting time that we're going through, and and also some of your personal nuggets here that we so appreciate, and you know, really have a lot to learn from you as a leader. Thanks so much for having me. And thanks so much for tuning in this week. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow our socials at Sarah Chen Global to get the latest news on the show. I'm Sarah Chen, and you've been listening to Bill and Dollar Moves.